morning. Today we have Jesus' ascension into heaven. When uh, people that we love say goodbye to us, going on a trip, a journey, maybe moving to another town, it's often a very sad thing. They're leaving. They're not going to be around anymore. We're not going to get to spend time with them. Yes, we can call them on the telephone, but that's not really the same thing, is it? And so we're, we're sad when people that we care about and love move away or even leave for just a little bit of a time on a trip. In our sinfulness, we often view Jesus' ascension in the same way, thinking, well, he left us, he went up to heaven, we can no longer see him or be with him. But the Bible is very clear that exactly the opposite is true, that Jesus ascended into heaven in order that he might be with us more fully and more completely than he ever was before. If Jesus had remained bodily on this earth, he would be limited to a certain place, uh, at any given time. He would be there in Jerusalem, but not here with us in Wisconsin. Or maybe he'd come visit us here in Wisconsin, but then he wouldn't be with the people down in Florida. Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, assuming, even according to his human nature, all the attributes of God, so that he could be all-powerful and omniscient and omnipresent, that is, uh, knowing all things and present everywhere. Because of Jesus' ascension, he is with us absolutely and completely everywhere we go. This is essential for our understanding of our Christian life. The disciples, when they heard that Jesus ascended into heaven, or after they saw Jesus ascend into heaven, sorry, rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and worshiped Jesus because they now knew that they could go out and do the task that he had given to them without worrying about where is Jesus. They don't have to keep coming back to Jerusalem to try and find him and talk to him, but they now know that he's with them wherever. And, and the, that almighty power of God is with them wherever. And so they're, they're very joyful that now they are able to spread the gospel throughout the world, and Jesus is going to be with them every step of the way, just as he's with us uh, everywhere we go. You know, we're more uh, what we call a low church. Um, there's a difference between high church and low church. A, a high church has a very, you know, precise, very ornate uh, liturgy. Uh, a high church is probably going to have all the different vestments and all the different robes, and, and they're going to have um, much more of the the historical liturgy than what we do. Uh, people often think we have historic liturgy in our church, and we do, but it's a very mild form of it. If, if some of you used to be a Missouri Synod or have ever been to Missouri Synod Church, you might know uh, that some of the Missouri Synod churches go a lot further uh, in their liturgy and, and also in the symbolism of the church. And so in some of those high, high liturgy churches, um, they actually have what they call a Paschal candle, and so that candle represents Jesus, the Passover lamb, right? And then that candle is always lit first and then used to light the other candles in the church. And during the Ascension service, some of those uh, high liturgy churches will actually snuff out that Paschal candle, but not the other candles. And you can see how this is very symbolic of what's happening in Jesus' Ascension. Uh, he's no longer seen. Well, that doesn't mean he's gone, but he's no longer seen but the apostles go out being filled with his word. So he is the light of the world, and yet he's given that light to the apostles, and they go out and, and spread that message. And so Christ, the light of the world, is seen through those other candles or through us. Maybe you could use that in your Sunday school class too, you know, bring in some, some candles. Uh, kids like fire, right? So it makes kind of a, a good... Um, 
you know, thing to do uh, to to help them understand the ascension of Christ. Uh, the ascension of Christ is recorded for us, of course, in, in the book of Acts, but also in the uh, Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. The, uh, the book of Acts has the most detail, but what's actually said in Mark and Luke is probably more important because even though the gospel or even though the book of Acts tells us more details about Jesus' ascension into heaven, uh, the, the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke really tell us more of the importance of Jesus' ascension into heaven. So don't neglect reading through uh, the gospel accounts. Uh, they're very important. In Mark, for example, Mark tells it is just two verses. That's all we have for the ascension. And yet those two verses tell us everything and even more than we need to know. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The entire story of, of the ascension is just right there, those two verses. And so marvelously portrayed as well. He ascended into heaven. And what does that mean? It means that he sat down at the right hand of God. There we have the understanding what it means that Jesus ascended into heaven. Understanding the nature of Jesus's resurrected body before and after the ascension is very hard for us in our, our limited view of Christ and our, our limited understanding of God in heaven that we have in, the, in this sinful world. But it's very obvious from scripture that there is a difference. Uh, after his ascension, he was risen from the dead and his body was glorified. It wasn't subject to the laws of physics uh, that it had been before. We know he, he passed through the doors without even opening them, right? But it was not a, a body that had yet sat down at the right hand of God. Throughout scriptures over and over again, it's made clear that he sat down at the right hand of God when he had ascended into heaven. What does that mean that he sat down at the right hand of God? It doesn't mean that he physically is sitting on a throne in heaven. It means that he has received the full authority and the full power of God. We know that he was God from eternity. We know that he was, when he was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary, he humbled himself. He gave up the, the full power and authority of God. And now here at his ascension, we see him taking up again the fullness of his a div, uh, divine personhood, his the, his Godhead. Now he never he he never wasn't God. He always was God, but he didn't make full use of his uh, divine powers. And now he receives again, or or takes up again, or makes full use. However, you it's worded, you know, in di in various ways in in different uh, places, but receives again that that fullness of the deity that that full power of of being god and so you know what was the relationship of his human and divine nature in that time from the resurrection to the ascension uh it's not really very clear you know you might ask well where was his body when he wasn't actually appearing to the disciples was it someplace else on the earth or was it you know up in heaven but just not fully glorified yet well scripture doesn't really tell us and we don't really need to know uh, the important thing is here at the ascension he sat down at the right hand of god he now has that full power and that full authority and then you see that in action uh, mark tells us they went out preaching everywhere the lord working with them and confirming and confirming the word through the accompanying sign so you see what i was just talking about the presence the Lord with his disciples wherever they went and that full power and authority of God working through them to preach the gospel and make it very very clear that Jesus was the that Jesus was the Christ and was and was the Lord 
And we turn to Luke uh, chapter 24, uh, beginning with verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of prophets, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Uh, so here you see part of the reason for that 40 days. You know, why did he ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God right away after his resurrection? Here you see part of the reason Luke tells us he was with them in order to teach them the things that they still didn't understand. And in a minute here, uh, you know, we, we know that... Um, the disciples did not, when we turn to Acts, we're going to see the disciples did, did still did not understand uh, fully the nature of who Christ was and the, and the nature of Christ's kingdom. Uh, we're going to see that in, in Acts. But nevertheless, he is uh, teaching them. And we know that. We know when he, he walked with the Emmaus disciples there, he walked with them for an hour or two and, and taught them to understand uh, the Old Testament scriptures. They maybe still don't understand completely, but they certainly he certainly opened the scriptures a lot more to them than, than there was before and of course jesus had been trying to teach them his whole the whole time he was on this earth but uh, now that they actually understood that he was to die and rise again uh, things were kind of clicking in a place and apparently he was able to show them a lot more from the scriptures and than, than they had been able to understand before so part of the reason for that 40 days was uh, a time for jesus to uh, teach his disciples because now they are going to go out and to proclaim the message and that's what he says Thus it is written, it was necessary for me to die and rise again, and now it's necessary for you to go out and tell everybody what you have witnessed. You are my witnesses. Now, a lot of times, verse 48, you are, are my witnesses, and other verses similar to that are often taken in a more general sense to remind us that we are also Christ's witnesses, and that is true. But Jesus is very much speaking to the apostles and the disciples here because they were his witnesses in a way that, that we cannot be. They were the ones who were there, who saw the risen Christ, who testified to the truth of these things, and through whom we also believe. Uh, their testimony was the one, is the testimony that really shows the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and that was a, a big part of their role. And so uh, because of that, uh, because of the importance of the apostles, the foundation of the church is built on the witness of the of the apostles, right? Uh, we saw Jesus risen from the dead and, and they proved it by their willingness even to die for that witness. You know, if, if I die for my faith, that might be a very noble thing, but it doesn't prove uh, that what I believe is true because... I, I only believe it because somebody told me it, right? Uh, so I so dying for my faith proves I believe it, but it doesn't really prove that it's true. But if the apostles died for their faith, right, they don't believe it because somebody told them. They believe it because they saw it for themselves. And so their death, confessing the faith is to say, yes, we saw this. They're not saying we were told this. They're saying we saw this. And we are willing to die uh, claiming that we did indeed saw this. And so that very much does is very, not absolute proof, but very, very good, very definite proof as to the truth that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And um, 
And so they are his witnesses in a way uh, that we're not. And of course, they still witness to Christ through uh, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the other writings that they left behind for us, which we know were inspired by the Holy Spirit. A very important thing. They, it's their word that went out to the nations. Jesus is risen from the dead. But, Jesus continues, they're not going to be able to do this on their own, right? They're going to need help. And so verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father before you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And we're going to um, see that again, that promise that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus uh, sits on the right hand of God and is now all omniscient, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all and present everywhere, omnipresent, uh, he's, they, he still confesses that you're still going to receive this other promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is also going to be your helper. And of course, uh, the name, one of the names that we use for the Holy Spirit so much, paraclete, it's sometimes translated, it's a lot of times translated comforter. Uh, he is the comforter. Paraclete actually means helper. Uh, that's the much better translation. Now, a comforter is somebody who helps you, but the, the help the Holy Spirit gives us is much more than just uh, giving us comfort. He also opens scripture for us and helps us to testify about Christ. So he is the helper. Uh, that's that's the real name for the Holy Spirit. Uh, not not just comforter, but more than that. Helps us in this this job task we have of, of proclaiming Christ's name. He led them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And notice uh, Luke emphasizes the lifting up of the hands and the benediction, the blessing that Jesus leaves his disciples with. And of course that blessing is with us always. It's reflected in the pastors, uh, the blessing of the pastor at the end of every church service, which is not coming from the pastor, but it's, it's coming from Christ himself. And that beautiful passage from the Old Testament, the Lord's face be upon you, the Lord's countenance be upon you, the Lord's blessing be upon you, which really emphasizes the Lord, you know, looking at us and watching over us. And this Sunday, where is Good Shepherd Sunday, so we're really going to be talking about that too. That the, that shepherd who watches over us every step of the way. And uh, so Jesus's hands is raised in that benediction, that blessing, as he is lifted up into heaven. As he blessed them, he was parted from them, carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And so they really understood what this ascension meant, how Jesus was really with them and hadn't, you know, left them as as orphans, uh, but uh, that he he that heaven is really his his being with them. Uh, turning now to Acts chapter one, uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke. So we were just reading the gospel of Luke. Uh, and so the book of Acts was written by the same author. He continues the story here. The, the gospel of Luke uh, talks about the what all that Jesus did from the time of his birth all the way through his ascension into heaven. That's a very obvious, you know, point, a cutting off point. And now the book of Acts takes up the story. It's again, and and it's again Jesus's work, and we're going to see this in a second here, but it's Jesus's work through his apostles. So Acts chapter 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, notice how he says began to do, the, the gospel of, of Luke, the story of Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension is only the beginning. Jesus is going to do far more than that. All that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, so it's the, the gospel is 
what Jesus did while he was in his state of humiliation on this earth, but it's only the beginning of what he did. Now he's going to do so much more through the apostles, and Luke is going to tell us about that. Notice how he uh, identifies the three important things of that 40 days, the 40 days between Easter and Jesus's ascension, which, by the way, is very significant symbolically. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 30 days. Jesus was, or sorry, <laughs> the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for 40 days. And now here again, we have that same number, 40, 40 days in between the uh, Easter account, the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. And so there's very much that, that sy symbolic time of wandering. You know, you think back to the children of Israel, they were saved from Egypt. Uh, they were saved from death in a very real sense. And yet it's 40 years before they actually enter into the promised land. And so here also Jesus is raised, he's saved from death, but 40 days instead of 40 years, a little bit shorter of time period, but the same number, 40, uh, until he enters into the fullness of heaven, the, the fullness of glory, sits down at the, the right hand of God. So very symbolic number there. But 40 days, during that 40 days, what did he do? Three things Luke identifies. First, he, he showed himself to be alive. That was a very important part of that 40 days where Jesus uh, continually showing himself in many different places and, and to many different people, to many different disciples, that he was alive. It wasn't just one appearance to one person, uh, but at one time it was over 500 people saw him uh, again and again to, to really confirm and solidify to those apostles that Jesus was indeed alive. Now, after he ascends into heaven, he does appear uh, again to Peter and to Paul, but it's in a very different way, right? After his ascension into heaven, he appears in the fullness of glory. He appears, he appears in visions. He appears in heaven. And so symbolically, at least, uh, he appears sitting at the right hand of God in that full power and authority. During those 40 days, he appears in that physical body. He appears to a great degree the way he looked and acted while he, you know, before his death and resurrection. Uh, so he, he appears uh, physically, bodily to the apostles to show them that he, he it's not just a spiritual resurrection, but it is a bodily resurrection and that he is indeed alive. And of course, that's so important. That's the, the core of our faith that Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus spent 40 days proving it so that we would know beyond a doubt he is risen from the dead. So that's the first uh, thing about the 40 days. But then also teaching, speaking about them, speaking of, of that, speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, so it was a time for him to be seen and prove that he was risen from the dead. It was a time for, for him to teach them that he really was uh, risen, or sorry, uh, to teach them the things that they did not yet understand. Presented himself alive and uh, was seen and taught them. Uh, and then after the 40 days, and being assembled together with them, verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we have to understand this correctly. And there's a couple of important things here. A lot of people, there are some churches out there that say, well, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's separate from water baptism. And so they, they criticize Lutherans when we say that you receive the Holy Spirit in your water baptism. And we say that because that's what the Bible says. Uh, it says one Lord, one baptism, right? Uh, and it says uh, that uh, through uh, the, the baptism that we are washed and become children of God, it says we receive the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible also have promises 
of the reception of the Holy Spirit uh, through our baptism. But here, now it seems as though it's a different thing. And it is a different thing, but it's not a different thing in the way that a lot of people think. Uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, first of all, those who say that you don't receive the Holy Spirit through baptism, that you only receive the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, if you could speak in tongues or if you, you hear the or see the flames of fire or the rushing wind by some outward thing like that. Well, this is clearly contradicted by Jesus' own words because the very night that Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And we talked about this, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. What did he say to them? He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So even at that time, it is very clear that they had received from Jesus that promise of the Holy Spirit, that they had received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this receiving of the Holy Spirit here is something different. And the Bible often does this. It often speaks uh, kind of in two different ways of, of receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, for example, the Bible tells us you cannot say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So anyone who believes that Jesus is Lord must have the Holy Spirit. And that's true. We receive the Holy Spirit in our baptism. However, it also talks about those believers like receiving the Holy Spirit in this outward form. And that's really the, the key here. It's not that the apostles didn't have the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the same way that they would have it. He would be received in a, in a fuller degree later on. And so the Bible speaks about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not all the same. And so the Holy Spirit is manifested in different ways. For example, Paul speaks about and so you can have the Holy Spirit, but then the, uh, like another portion or an extra part of the Holy Spirit, it, you know, it's hard for us to describe. We were talking about the things about God. And of course, the Holy Spirit's always with us everywhere uh, in, in his fullness, but ha having given us more or less gifts. Now, in maybe, maybe we receive one gift at our birth, and then maybe later on, like the apostles, we receive a greater gift from the Holy Spirit. And that, that receiving of a gift is talked about as a receiving of the Holy Spirit. And you can understand why that might be. And so that's really what Jesus is saying here. Not that they didn't have the Holy Spirit, but that they would now receive the Holy Spirit again. There's really, the point is, you'll receive more power, more gifts from the Holy Spirit is the way that this should be understood. So we all receive the Holy Spirit in our baptism, but the, the disciples are going to receive um, an, a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit, might be one way to put it, and receive more gifts from the Holy Spirit. And of course, uh, that the story of Pentecost is one we, I think we did that last year. So we don't have it in this book, uh, but maybe it's one that we'll go into again. So they're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and they're not supposed to leave Jerusalem until they do. You know, uh, very often when Jesus says, gives us promises and, you know, wait for this or do that, we might assume it's going to be a while before Jesus fulfills those promises. After all, he promised to come quickly and it's been 2,000 years. He promised Adam and Eve the Messiah and it, and it was 4,000 years before Jesus came. We can look through scripture and find many promises of God, which from our perspective took quite a long time to, to receive. But here, this is something that really did come quickly because Jesus said for them to wait in Jerusalem and it's only 10 days later when they actually receive the fulfillment of that promise, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 6. 
Um, therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so that really emphasizes what I was saying before. What does this mean that they'll receive the Holy Spirit? It doesn't mean that they don't have the Holy Spirit now, but that they're going to receive uh, more. More of the whole, they're going to receive more of the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's demonstrated very obviously on uh, Pentecost. And so Jesus' own words here: "You will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit comes upon you." Explains uh, his his words earlier in verse five. Notice that the disciples, as I as I mentioned before, we're going to see how they still don't really understand. Jesus has been with them for the 40 days, trying to get them to understand the Old Testament and, and who the Messiah really was. They still don't really understand it. They're still looking for that earthly kingdom. Are you going to restore the nation of Israel? They think, okay, well, he rose from the dead. So now, surely, uh, he has the power. He rose from the dead. He has the power to restore the nation of Israel. But rather than try again to get them to understand, well, Jesus has more important things to tell them at the, at the time. So he's, he just basically tells them, that's not something you need to worry about uh, when, when the kingdom of God is going to come in the way that you think. You know, don't worry about that. What you should be worried about is the fact that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And this is still an important lesson for us because there are way too many Christians who are way too way too much concerned with the last day and the coming of Christ. And that's not exactly the same question that the apostles ask him, but you know it's along the same tracks. And uh, they think, well, we need to we need to study the Book of Revelation. We need to figure out when Jesus is coming again. We really need to be focused on that. And Jesus says, clear out. Don't worry about that. That's not what you need to worry about. You know, when that day comes, it will come, and you'll know it. And, um, you know, you'll be taken to heaven. Uh, just don't worry about that. What you need to worry about is this task that I'm giving you right now. And that task is to be witnesses, to spread my word. With what the little time that you have left, spread my word to the ends of the earth. And the apostles, of course, took that to heart, and they did exactly that. They, The apostles were clearly not worried about uh, end time things and, and what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. Um, you, you read their, their epistles, and you read what they did. They were just far more concerned just about preaching the gospel uh, and there are some things in the epistles about the end times but usually they're only in there because uh, the you know paul or peter or some other people encountered others who were teaching incorrectly and so they they stopped to correct their misunderstandings about the end times but in general it's otherwise it's not a topic that they really even worry about because it just doesn't matter now, when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is all obviously very symbolic. Heaven is not literally up. You know, you could take a spaceship and fly as far as you want, you know, up from the earth, and you're never going to find heaven, right? It's not a literal up, a, a place that's literally up from here. Heaven is being with Jesus, uh, and we are with him now, and, and what heaven is going to be like after we die, and what heaven is going to be like on the new heavens and the new earth after the judgment day, is something that's very hard for us to understand but it really doesn't matter what matters is it's being with jesus and jesus is going to come again and take him to be take us to be with him uh so that we are with him always and that's that's the important thing and that's the thing that we need to look for and be, be joyful about a cloud the cloud received him out of their sight throughout scripture clouds are used as a symbol of the hidden god so god is present but in a way that we cannot see him uh it was a cloud that was with the children of israel as they went through the the 
the wilderness, right? A, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so that was God's presence. Now, they couldn't actually see God because he was hidden in that cloud. And on top of Mount Sinai, God was on top of Mount Sinai, but there was a cloud between God's presence and the people of Israel below. So they couldn't actually see God himself. He, he was hidden behind the cloud. And when Solomon made, built the temple and dedicated it to a cloud came and filled the temple, it was uh, filled with with smoke with a cloud again jesus god's presence but in a way that is hidden from us and so here as well uh jesus is present with us but he's hidden we can't actually see him he's it doesn't mean he's not there uh, it's very very much there but in a way that that cannot be seen and so uh the when whenever clouds are talked about especially in connection with christ or with god uh, throughout the scripture you kind of have to think of that like the hidden presence of god there but in a way that that can't be seen and so and that's that's a reminder he's not leaving us but he's simply not visible to our physical eyes anymore and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up behold two men stood by them in white apparel who also said men of galilee why do you stand gazing up into the heaven the same jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven then they returned to jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is near jerusalem a sabbath day journey so uh, you can imagine the apostles standing there and w what's going to happen next what are we supposed to do next you know they've had 40 days of hearing from christ and he appears to them at different times and and now all of a sudden the cloud comes and he's gone away and maybe they were waiting for the cloud to to move on hoping that they would still see jesus behind the cloud and so it's very important for the angels to come here and say look guys stop staring up into heaven you've got work to do and um he will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven what's the meaning there uh does that mean we all need to make sure we're at at olivet because that's the place where he's going to come does that mean that you know he's just going to be seen by the apostles no the point there is that you will see him when he comes again that's really i think what the angels are stressing uh, you saw him go into heaven when he comes again you will see him don't worry about that and that's really the message that's emphasized throughout the ascension of jesus don't worry about trying to find jesus physically and of course we saw that when jesus was talking to mary don't cling to me physically i'm going to ascend into heaven you won't be able to cling to me physically anymore here as well he's sending to heaven we're not going to be able to see him physically don't worry about that you've got a task to do and he is going to be with you wherever you go so go out and preach that message he, he will come in the same manner you will definitely see him you're not going to miss it you don't have to worry about it what you need to worry about is sharing that message of christ uh, being those those candles right lit by christ's resurrection uh sharing that light of jesus with other people of course the apostles very much did do that and we talked about that last sunday with thomas you know even even going to to india jesus has ascended into heaven and sat on the right hand of god and because he has all power and authority of god we have the power and authority, not only of Christ, not only is Christ with us, but he's given us that Holy Spirit through our baptism so that we don't have to, to worry, uh, but that we have the power that we need to go and do the work that he has sent for us. I apologize, this is 30 minutes uh, today, but there's, there's a lot here that, and a lot of symbolism that needs to be um, talked about and dissected. So, Lord's blessings with your Sunday School lesson. As always, let me know if you have any questions or concerns.